millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Trish and Kev on Room 104. Now, on the line, we've got Lee Davies, who became corrupt during his service as a prison officer. He'll be telling us what led him to this, how he dealt with the situation he ended up in, and what turns his life took later on. Lee, welcome to the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, Lee, take us back to the beginning. You are a young guy starting out. You get your first real job as a prison guard. What was your first impression of the job, walking through those doors in such a crazy environment? What was it like walking into that situation? It was, um, I'm not going to lie, it was scary, it was awe-inspiring, it was um, something that I didn't really allow for, I think, mentally. Um, I mean, I'd been in you know jobs before that were kind of pressured in the sense I was in the fire brigade as well, um, part-time, um, but I don't think anything prepares you really until you walk through those doors and see so many young men basically running wild on a wing and the noise levels were, were kind of next level, really. And you were a young guy as well, like being around other young men. Did you feel intimidated walking in, into that situation? Because I would imagine, you know, knowing now that you're going to be in charge of these men, it, it must have been daunting. Um, it, it was really, because I was only at the time, I would say four or five years older than the young lads that were in there, because it was actually a young offenders institute. So that is obviously lads up to the age of 21. Um, so as I say, I was only really a stone's throw from their age. So I guess I kind of did feel intimidated in a way. But then also as well, I think that's why I ended up kind of becoming, a, shall we say, a target, although it's, you know, it's purely all down to me. Um, I think I was very friendly with the lads because I was close to them. And uh, so, Lee, talk us through then your first experience with smuggling. Is, is, was corruption and smuggling something you started to notice straight away? And then how did, how did that happen to you then? I think, um, you know, from my time starting there, I've been in the service, say, I think three and a half to four years. Um, So for 18 months, I'd not seen anything or even thought about, you know, kind of entering any kind of, you know, corruption boundaries or or anything like that. So from my experience in the early days, I didn't notice anyone else doing it. I mean, I know the prison service is very different now and corruption has gone through the roof. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be reasons for that, which I'll try and discuss with you in a bit. Uh, but for me, in my service, you know, I, I didn't see any other members of staff doing it. OK, so what was that first encounter like then? Because obviously uh, you were young, you'd never been through it before. Um, how did you actually get caught up in that first experience? I think, you know, as I previously described, for, eight, for 18 months, um, I think I was building relationships with lads. Mm-hmm. And I think they were... 
more than likely watching me or testing me, um, you know, with small things on the wing to see how I would react. Um, I started to struggle on a personal level, probably around about a year into the job, me, you know, being kind of, um, I kind of become withdrawn, recluse. I was drinking heavily, um, you know, having been a full day at work. Um, so I was, I was not in the best frame of mind myself. And I think that the lads have probably picked up on that. And they've probably at some point thought, right, we're going to test him now um, to see if he is kind of corruptible or to see where he is mentally. Mm. You know, and, and that's happened one day, unfortunately. And so tell us about what uh, they wanted you to, to smuggle into the prison. So initially it was um, a mobile phone. And, and the reason for, for kind of isolating me um, I mean, a lot of people have, have kind of said that they don't believe this, but I'm telling you the absolute truth. This is how I ended up in, in the conversation with the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, was upset, visibly upset, and I was asked to go and speak to him by another prisoner. Whilst I was in that cell having a private conversation regards him being upset, he said that um, he would like to speak to his, his dying father, to which I, I knew was actually happening because um, the prisoner had come with family members and probation, et cetera. So I knew that was a genuine reason, but then he said, will you bring me a mobile phone? And obviously at first I'd said no. What I should have done is gone to the prison straight away and said, this has just been put on me. I'd like to report it because there was security, obviously protocols to follow. I didn't do that. Um, The second time he's asked me, at that point I left the cell. The second time he's asked me, I've said no again. And the third time he's asked me, this is over a period of, of kind of an afternoon. Uh, and I, I I don't know why. He said, I'll give you £400 if you do it. And I, and I won't ask again. And stupidly enough, all down to me, I agreed to do it. So that was your first, first encounter. And then after that, I imagine it was just a sip, slippery slope. You became their main target then. How many packages would you say over time did you smuggle in total? I would say over uh, possibly around about a year period, maybe two a week, um, you know, obviously with ship patterns and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the numbers were roughly two a week and that could range from, I mean, I didn't have anything to do with the packaging as such or involved in what was coming in, if you understand. I was purely nothing more than a, than a taxi service. Yeah. Okay. And was it always things like mobile phones or what were the, what was the range of items that you, you were involved in? The range, um, the first couple of times, I, I didn't have any suspicions that it was anything other than a mobile, i.e. Yeah. smelling the packages and whatnot. But on the third package, I could smell, you know, a, a, a smell of cannabis. Yeah. So I was aware at that point that, you know, there was going to be cannabis in there and yeah. whatever else. I couldn't tell you exactly. As I say, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. Lee, I would imagine being in a situation like that, walking in... Was the security in the prisons just not not up to scratch? Were you scared at any point that you were going to get caught while you were walking in with these packages? Like, how um, would I you think, get it in? I think um, looking back on it, the, the balance of probability in my mind, because obviously it had gone well the first two times. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was nervous as hell. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of scared as in I'd committed to obviously committing the act. So I was scared on the fact of I needed to deliver uh, because I'd taken money already for it, and, and as we, you can imagine, they're not they're not particularly nice people, and they can be quite intimidating. So I had a lot of scared feeling around doing it, but in my mind, I qualified it by I'd only been searched three times 
in my whole time in the prison service. Mm. So it was basically a game of Russian roulette, but one that I thought I could win. Wow. Tell us about when you're walking in then. So it's uh, you obviously have a security scanner at the very um, entrance going into the prison. And I, I would imagine there's a couple checks, is there? Or is there just one? How many checks do you have to go through? For those of us who you know may have never been in a prison, yeah. we don't actually know what the checkpoints are like. You know, Did you have to go through several of them or just one? Or what was the setup? So what happens in jails there, they're obviously given categories. You know, what a category will be length of sentence, type of prisoner, um, uh, sex of prisoner. The jail I worked in was classed as a local prison. Now, this is going to surprise people out there because you would imagine every jail should have some kind of scanning devices for people going in, mm-hmm. which is so far from the truth. The prison service do not want to invest that kind of money. Mm-hmm. They're only in high-security jails, i.e. Strangeways, Manchester. I would guess maybe the maze in Ireland, is it, or whatever that used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as regards checks going in, you go through a, a security door, and then you're faced with a series of signs that basically says if you are found with contraband past this point, you can face up to 10 years in jail. Mm. Now, when you go through there and you do your radio checks, you pick up your keys, you pick up your radio, and you're free to walk onto the wing. Mm. You know, there's no checks as such, Um, to which I find mind-boggling. You know, with corruption the way it is at the moment, Surely the prison service, if they're really intent on cracking down on, you know, illegal items into prisons, surely on every gate, they should have some kind of device as they do in to obscurity. Yeah. I mean, uh, it seems to me like that's just a no brainer. Is it would it really be that costly to have uh, scanners and things like that in, in even in these smaller prisons? I really don't think so, Pogs. If you look, look at the cost of corruption and all the violence and whatnot that's going on in jails, yeah. if they're really, really committed to what they say they're committed to, it's an absolute no-brainer, mate, and I don't think it costs that much. Mm. You're you're on this mission for the year, and you're, you haven't been caught. When was that moment that all the chickens came home to roost? I'll give you a very, very quick story that will, you know, it's it's kind of amusing looking back on it now, but it isn't. I was actually sat because the, the, the kind of fever pitch and the pressure was really getting to me. And I thought, well, well I'm going to have to walk away from the job. I mean, I don't know why I didn't do that in the first instance. Um, you know, obviously, but I was at that point, I wasn't well mentally. I was I was enthralled in greed. You know, that become a major side of it. I become kind of recluse. So I've taken a week off work thinking that, I think about need. I think I'm going to have to leave the service. Mm. I'm sat reading a newspaper, an unnamed newspaper, and there is a middle praise spread on mobile phone use and corruption in UK jails. And there was actually a picture of one of the lads that I was involved with. So that was obviously red flag time. Oh, uh, no, yes, I know. Sat in the garden, and I'm thinking, Christ, this has uh, gone wrong. Yeah. Um, so I plan to come back off my week away. I changed my shift to an early shift and I had it in my mind that day. I still had three packages to take into the jail that were stored in my house. So I planned, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, get rid of them and, um, you know, and have done with it. Whether I would have done or not, I don't know. I'm I'm telling you, that's what my mindset was. Um, I've gone back into the jail on the Monday uh, after rest periods. I've gone through the security doors, like I've said, and out of a side room popped my boss, shall we say, and said, Lee, can I have a, a minute with you, please? Which which at that point hadn't brought alarm bells to me because 
sometimes your boss would speak to you going onto the wing. If there'd been mm. an incident the night before, if there'd been, you know, something that he needed to tell you. So at that point, I wasn't that worried, although obviously underneath I was. But then when he said, I need to ask you something today, have you got anything on you you shouldn't have? And I said, my initial um, stance was, no, I haven't. Um, you know, just a butty box. And then he obviously he wasn't happy with that because he knew more than what I was letting on at that point. Mm-hmm. He then said, right, he said, right, we're going to have to go upstairs. There's a search team waiting for you. And I knew then that the kind of game was up and something had gone on. So I went upstairs. There was dogs. There was a lot of prison officers um, and a governor. And I said, I said, look, guys, with respect, I'm, I'm just going to take something out of my pants here and give it to you. Um, to which I did. I handed it over and said... You know, and then I still had to be full search for protocol, so a full naked search. Um, yeah, so that's that's how it came to light. Oh gosh! I wow. Can't... I mean, mm. some people would say that's amazing bad luck, but afterwards I've spoken to people. How true it is, I don't know, but I do believe the the packages because I'd been, shall we technically call it grassed on? I think the packages were infiltrated with some kind of location device. I.e. Oh really? Yeah, so obviously they knew when the stuff was moving and coming in. Oh, okay. So you don't think somebody informed on you or gave your name or you don't think one of the prisoners gave your name? Yeah, it was one of the prisoners I found out years later. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, the lad's not with us anymore. Mm. Um, But it wasn't through what he he basically grasped on me because he got into a lot of trouble in the jail uh, with debts and whatnot. Um, He was wanted by another rival gang firm in there because there was a hell of a lot of gangs at that point. Uh, And he basically turned himself over to the healthcare department. And uh, to do that, you've either got to be really ill or it's usually people hiding. So he's had a word with the governor and said, I need to go to healthcare and I want to transfer. The governor's basically said no. And he said, right, I've got some information on one of your staff. So that's how it's come about. Then I was under a period of investigation, Mm. um, you know, people watching me and stuff. So... It was, it had gone on over a period of time. So obviously they knew what was going on, you know, mm. but needed to be sure to convict me. So, yeah, not but good. then time. what happened? So did you get arrested there and then did they take you into custody? How does all that work? I was arrested. I, so they basically send for the police. I mean, I would imagine they would have notified the police anyway if they were that sure that it was happening. Yeah. Two, police two police officers come into the jail. They arrest you on the spot. Um, because it was two police people that I knew, they kind of looked at me as if to say, what the hell's going on? You know, what's, mm. what's all this about, Lee? Um, they, fair play to them, respectfully, they said, we're not going to put cuffs on you, but you're going to have to walk out to the car with us and get in the car, which again, because all the jail had started to open up at that point, you had officers, teachers, prisoner movements. So basically the coppers, when me walking out in cuffs, would have caused big, big uh, kind of rumour mills going. Yeah. So they afforded me the respect of walking to the car. Then I got in the car and I was told that they had to go to another job. I would be then taken down to the police station by another officer. Um, he'd obviously been listening to what's going on on the radio because I kind of had a bit of a, a kind of say a struggle or or with him because he put the cuffs on that tight. I said, can you, can you kind of loosen them off a little bit, please? Because yeah. he clearly knew what I'd done. Um, he dragged me into the van, pretty much pulling me off my feet. Mm. Um, so I had a bit of a scuffle with him in the car park. Um, I then got down to the station. The same again. He dragged me out the back of the van pretty much to my knees, um, to which the officers have obviously seen it in the camera, so they've come rushing down, um, you know, to which I just said, look, can you sort this man out, please? Yeah. Um, and then I go into the into the police cells. 
but because I'm dressed as a prison officer, I look like a policeman. You know? <laughs> so all the other prisoners are seeing me walked into the custody suite. So they're all going mental now, banging on the door, shouting all and sundry at me, basically oh saying God. that there's a police in custody. So, yeah, that was kind of alarming again, you know what I mean, the noise, and you're still trying to get your head around what's happened because all this has happened within the space of probably half an hour. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What was your prison sentence then like? Because I assume that whole um, situation was probably just so chaotic for you. You probably didn't know what was happening and it probably did go by in the blink of an eye. But that from that point up until getting sentenced, what took place? So in England, you have to serve... When you get a four-year sentence, you have to serve half of it. Uh, no early release. Um, if it had been a day under four years, I could have applied on good behaviour. I could have applied to come out four months early on a tag. But because it's four years, there's a reason why the judge gave me four years, because when you hit four years in England, it's it's deemed a serious offence. Yeah. Now, a serious offence will follow you um, for a good 10 to 11 years after. Um, in other words, you know, when you go applying for jobs, when you go for security checks, it's pretty much staying with you, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of stops me from, you know, working in that kind of industry. I mean, not that I would go into it anyway, but... You know, it's kind of stopped you from applying for service jobs again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the start of the sentence, I'm not going to lie, I mean, they sent me down to, under prison service guidelines, you should always be within an hour of your family okay. so your family can visit you. Not so much, they're not bothered about you, but they're bothered about your family being in an area. But because I was a prison officer, the prison service didn't know what to do with me. Nowhere would accept me. As in, I know this is going to sound really weird to the listeners. Prisons are like hotels in the sense of you have a governor that will allow you to come into his prison. So we will look at your risk and think, oh, my God, we don't want this guy on our patch because things could go wrong. So their their, their kind of take on it was I was a security risk because I, I had links to people in the area. Mm. Um, I had links to gangs, which which is very far-fetched, um, you know, but that was the line that they went down. And they've got to look after, they've got to look after 
my welfare as well. So they've they've kind of cleared themselves on that level. So I was placed three and a half hours away from home in Shropshire, which which was a bit of a it was upsetting really because people were coming to see me and I'd seen that they'd had a three and a half hour drive. And in the end, I kind of stopped people coming to see me because I couldn't justify, you know, putting my parents on a motorway for three and a half hours just to come and sit with me for an hour, you know, to talk about what I'd not done that week. I mean, what do you say to people in a visit? What have you done this week? Well, I've been in prison. So I've stopped, I stopped people from making that journey. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I had to do it really as a conscience. That must have been incredibly difficult for you, though, because I would imagine being um, an ex-prison officer, now being among the prisoners, that couldn't have been an easy situation to deal with mentally. And was there any physical altercations? How was that? What did you go through? It was, I think there was a lot of, hell of a lot of um, kind of angst and anxiety. Prisons are a hypercharged environment. Every, every, you know, every glance of an eye, every noise, every movement, you, you're on alert all the time. So I don't think you get a chance to rest. So I, I pretty much lived on adrenaline, I think, for the for, certainly for the first year, whilst I was in a closed prison, you know, because I'm uh, paranoid that people will obviously know that I'm a prison officer. Mm. Um, I'm paranoid that someone's going to attack me. Uh, and I'm also just, you know, full of anxiety as well because, you know, I was a prison officer for Christ's sake, and now I'm in this this kind of parallel world. Mm. But on the other side of it, it's you know, it was, it's, it's a hard one for any any man or woman to negate going into custody. It's it's you know out of your comfort zone completely. Mm. You weren't and, a target, were you, when you were in there mm. for for them for the other prisoners? Um, oh, I'll tell you, this is this is an amusing story. So obviously I'd gone in there thinking I was incognito, as in I would try and blend in like a normal prisoner. Because I was that far away from home, mm-hmm. I thought I could get away with it. So I've gone in there under the umbrella that, you know, when lads we used to ask me, I would, I would say drugs. So then mm-hmm. technically I wasn't lying because I did get caught with cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first prison I went in, two days into my sentence, I was pulled in by the governor and he said, can I have a chat with you, please? Now, I thought it was just going to be a chat about, you know, general sentence or who I was between me and him. And he said, have you told anybody you're a prison officer? And I said, no, why would I do that? And he said, right, we've, we've got a bit of a problem. I said, go on, then you give me your problem. Um, in prison, you have a magazine or a newspaper that's given out to all prisoners under their doors. It's called Converse. That morning, the prison, the night staff had issued this newspaper to every door in the prison. Now, the unfortunate thing for me is I was on the front of it. Oh, my God. So, oh, no. Listen, you can't, you can't make this up, can you? Whew. So the governor said, obviously, this is a, a bit of a, an issue. I said, and I, you know, I don't want to swear, but I said, yeah, no, no crap, it's an issue. Um, so he said, well, what do you want to do about it? He said, you know, I can, I can try and accommodate it. So I thought, a light bulb moment, I thought, right, send me back home, send me back up north. So I said, if you could send me back up north, that I think that would ease things. And he said, I can't do that. And I said, well, you've, you've kind of answered your own question here, haven't you? You're not prepared to do all for me, but yet now you've told everyone that I'm a prison officer. And now whether the staff did it maliciously, whether they did it by mistake, it was night staff who handed it out. Maybe they didn't know I'd come into the jail. I'm not sure. But, yeah, that was my first introduction to prison life. But I got a few when I went back to the wing. My prisoner, my uh, cellmate, 
who I told I was in for drugs, was sat at the back of the cell reading the newspaper, oh. you know, with my phone. I know, and he just lowered the newspaper and said, so then, drugs. And I said, well, yeah, lying. Um, oh. So, yeah, there was a few very anxious days. Luckily enough, I had gotten well with quite a few lads in my first week. So they kind of said, look, if you get any grief, and they were quite, shall we say, mm, handy lads, top boys in there. They mm. said, if you get any grief, we find you're all right. We've, you know, technically I was, if you look in the criminal eye, I was actually helping, you know, them, you know, bring stuff in. So it's not as if I'd gone in there as, you know, a, a domestic abuser or a drink driver or anything like that. I was mm. actually in being on their kind of crew, shall we say. Mm. You so, worked yeah, you, you worked up some brownie points with them. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think exactly that, mate. Exactly mm. that. And it ended um, up being the, what protected you in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, did you think? Do you think you were changed fundamentally as a person after going through that experience in prison? Massively, Paul. I mean, I've I've spoke about this on the odd podcast that I've done, um, and I think the prison sentence. Looking back on it now. The prison sentence wasn't the hardest part, I feel. It's after the prison. It's the fallout after prison. Uh, mm. The effect on your friends. Um, I mean, obviously, I lost everything. I've lost, you know, my relationship, the respect. Uh, I've lost my chance at getting reasonable jobs to a certain degree. So after the prison, mate, was there was a three-month kind of period where all was well. Mm. Um, as in, I was back in life, to, to, you know, in my mind, but then I couldn't find myself getting on, on the work ladder anymore. And I'd still found myself being very, uh, walking around every street corner, people wanted to speak to me about it all the time. And I couldn't still get away from it, even though I'd done the sentence. And I just couldn't cope with life. I found myself pretty much having a breakdown, um, mm. you know, because I think in prison, you have to act. And like I said, I'd lived two years on adrenaline and uh, putting the barriers up because to show weakness in prison, you know, never happened to me, thankfully. But when I come out of prison, I'd cry every day pretty much, you know, for no real reason or went through a big bout of depression, stroke, uh, self-loathing, I think, Hmm. Um, you know, and become, unfortunately, become uh, a heavy drug user and an alcoholic. Um, Lee... You've had to change your life around and pick yourself up and you really educated yourself in prison as well so that when you came back out, you know, you would have a life and you would be able to continue on. But it was very difficult, as you said there. Now, where are you now and what does the future hold? Um, been working now for the same firm, you know, for a long while. Uh, I retrained, I started retraining in prison to be an electrician mm-hmm. because in the very last part of your sentence, you can go to open conditions. Assuming, of course, that you've completed all the courses, being a good lad, not mm-hmm. abscond, they, they can put you in a lesser category prison. So therefore, you can enroll on local college courses, albeit one, two days a week. So I started the ball rolling in prison. Um, so I completed that when I left prison. I'm not going to lie, I struggled to, like I just mentioned then, I struggled to get work initially because, you know, with no on-site experience or anything like that. But thankfully, it come good in the end, you know, the perseverance. And I'm not going to lie, there were many times where, you know, I felt like giving up. Um, I did attempt to take my own life one night, um, to which I'm very grateful for the emergency services that they were phenomenal, really. Um, So I, I think it's persistence. I then got back on track and I've been on track since. And, you know, that's what I want to, con- you know, continue doing. And, and also at the same time, with a lot of podcasts that I've done, 
Um, I'm actually being kind of reached out to by a lot of people that are struggling. So that kind of gives me a, um, not redemption, but it kind of gives a positive on, on my experience. And that's all I want people to do is basically watch, listen to this, watch Lad Bible, watch whatever it may be, my podcast, just to stop people doing it. Because I know there's a lot of youngsters going into the prison service these days and they're very vulnerable as an officer. The wages are lower than when I was in there. Mm. Um, they're almost laughable. Um, so, yeah, I just want people to learn from my experience. The supports in prison, you touched on it there. Um, you just feel like there's a lack of support. And I do think that comes across in your story. As a young man, you know, there was no hierarchy for you to go to in such a tough situation. What do you say now um, to try and maybe change that to some of these for some of these prisons, I guess? I've met with... Um... I've actually met with the prison service recently because they contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in kind of meeting up and helping out, you know, maybe seeing if I can do some work with them to help training. The actual ethos of the prison service is changing, which is a good thing because back in my day, all the corruption department wanted to do was absolutely nail that officer, i.e. take him to the cleaners four, five, six years in jail. They're now introducing more of a you know, how can, how can I put this? A different ethos in the fact that they want to work with maybe someone who could become corrupted. They now have a channel to go to, um, albeit you, you probably will still lose your job, but they would rather an honesty policy and you say, look, you know what, I'm, and, and then you walk away, rather than taking officers to, to jail. Because, listen, what, what we're trying to prove by putting somebody in jail for five years, corruption's always going to be there, and it's mm. at its highest level. So mm. it's, it's going to be something that's always there. Um, I do think they're trying to address it. Kind of trying to work with people more and young recruits, um, and obviously, if I can help with that, I will do. Um, but yeah, I mean, they now have what they call. I mean, in my day, listen to how crazy is this? Even in the most uh, mundane of jobs or simple jobs, you always have some kind of buddy, don't you, or a mentor in the mm. prison service? You didn't even have a mentor in my day, mm. so it's you know, they are changing, they're evolving. It took a lot of years, I think, for them to to change their mindset, but I do believe, you know, there will be a better place eventually. Lee, what an absolutely incredible story. Thank you so, so much for chatting to us. And I really do hope they change some of the, the systems because it can't go on like that. And as you said, men coming in on, you know, what, 18,000 a year, how do you, you know, back away from that? It's like waving a bone in front of a hug, hungry dog's face. It's just... It's a it's a difficult situation. So thank you for being so open and honest with us. And if people were looking for you on social media, maybe to make contact, where would they find you? Uh, Instagram is Lee Pablo nineteen eighty new. Facebook is just Lee Pablo, um, which are no connotations to Pablo Escobar, by the way. It was a nickname <laughs> given to me for my for my former love of sunbeds. Um, <laughs> and yeah, if you want to find, there's a good podcast which I've done with the lads in your neck of the woods. Um, go find his podcast Parlay with Padraig and I'm on there and he's, he's from down in Cork Lee thank you so much for, for sharing your story fantastic thank you very much cheers guys imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.